Part two, chapter fourteen of Quo Vadis, a tale of the time of Nero. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Quo Vadis by Henrik Sienkiewicz, translated by Binion and Malevsky. Part two, chapter fourteen. It was known in Rome that on his way Caesar would stop at Ostium to see the largest ship in the world, which had recently brought wheat from Alexandria. Thence he would go to Antium by the shore road. The orders had already been given. At the Ostian Gate, therefore, there assembled at early morn a great multitude, consisting of the Roman rabble and of all the nations of the world, come to feast their eyes with the sight of Caesar's retinue, of which the populace could never get their fill. The road to Antium was neither long nor difficult. Antium itself was filled with palaces and villas sumptuously equipped one could find there everything required for comfort or the most exquisite luxury of the time it was caesar's custom however to take with him all the things in which he delighted from musical instruments and artistic furniture to the statues and mosaics which he would arrange in order even where he stopped but a short while either for rest or bodily refreshment therefore multitudes of servants accompanied him on every journey as well as detachments of praetorians and augustales each of whom had his individual following of slaves at early dawn of that day shepherds from the campania their legs swathed with goatskins their faces sunburnt drove five hundred she-asses through the gates so that poppaea might have her customary bath in their milk on the morrow at antium the mob found a hilarious delight in watching the long ears swaying amid clouds of dust and in listening to the whistle of the whips and the wild cries of the shepherds when the she-asses had passed crowds of boys rushed out upon the roadway swept it clean and strewed it with flowers and pine needles word ran through the crowd and swelled it with a sense of local pride that the entire road to antium would be covered with flowers plucked from private gardens in the neighborhood or purchased at high prices from women dealers at the mugionis gate with the passing of the morning hours the crowds grew greater many had brought their entire families and to temper the tedium of waiting they spread provisions on stones intended for the new temple of ceres and ate their noonday meals under the glowing sun groups gathered here and there the presiding genius in each of which was some travelled personage who could talk learnedly of caesar's present journey his past journeys and of travelling in general sailors and veterans told strange tales which they had heard during foreign campaigns about countries where roman foot had never been planted townspeople who had never gone beyond the appian way listened open-mouthed to the marvels related of india of arabia and of archipelagos surrounding britain where briarius had chained the sleeping saturn on a certain ghost-haunted island of northern seas whose waters were of jelly-like consistency and of the hissing and roaring which the ocean emitted when the setting sun descended into its waters such stories found ready faith among the rabble as they had already found faith even with such men as pliny and tacitus they spoke also of that ship which caesar was to stop to gaze at a ship which had brought grain enough for two years besides four hundred passengers the same number in the crew and a multitude of wild animals which were to be sacrificed at the summer games these stories created a general good-will towards caesar who not only fed his people but amused them everybody prepared to give him an enthusiastic greeting 
a detachment of numidian horsemen belonging to the praetorian guard were the first to arrive their uniforms were yellow girt at the waist with crimson in their ears were huge earrings which reflected a golden gleam upon their burnished black faces the points of their bamboo lances shone in the sun like flames after them came a brilliant procession the multitude pressed forward to catch a closer glimpse but a detachment of praetorian infantry lined both sides of the road from the gateway so as to crush them back there moved by wagons bearing tents of purple red and violet snowy white tents of muslin interwoven with golden threads oriental carpets tables of lemon wood pieces of mosaic kitchen utensils and cages with birds from the east south and west whose brains and tongues were destined for caesar's table vessels of wine and baskets of fruit such objects as might be bruised or broken in the wagons were borne by slaves on foot hence there were hundreds of men carrying vessels and statuettes of corinthian bronze to special bands of slaves were assigned etruscan or grecian vases to others golden or silver vessels or goblets of alexandrian crystal each band was separated from the next one by a detachment of praetorians either on horseback or on foot and each had overseers armed with whips whose lashes ended in lumps of lead or iron the procession consisting of men bearing all these different objects with intense care and preoccupation took on the aspect of a solemn religious function and the resemblance grew still more vivid when the musical instruments of caesar and his court followed harps grecian lutes lyres formingas scythers flutes long-twisted horn trumpets and cymbals passed by in bewildering profusion that sea of instruments with all the gold bronze precious stones and mother-of-pearl gleaming in the sun might have given the impression that apollo or bacchus was journeying through the world lordly chariots followed these were filled with acrobats with dancers male and female artistically grouped and holding wands in their hands then came slaves devoted not to service but to shameful uses children male and female selected throughout greece and asia minor with long tresses or curly hair gathered in golden nets whose lovely faces resembling cupids were thickly overlaid with cosmetics so that their delicate complexions might not be tanned by the winds of the campania and now came a praetorian detachment of gigantic sicambrians bearded with red and flaxen hair and blue eyes roman eagles were born in front of them together with inscribed tablets statues of german and roman gods and finally statues and busts of caesar from beneath the skins and armor of these soldiers appeared arms and shoulders sunburnt and massive like machines of war fit to wield the mighty weapons which they bore the earth seemed to yield beneath their measured and heavy tread conscious of the strength which if need be they could turn against caesar's self they glanced contemptuously on the rabble in the street evidently forgetting that many of them had come to the city in chains but there was only a small handful of these men for the main body of the praetorians remained encamped to watch over the city and preserve order there when they had passed there were led by the lions and tigers which nero had ordered to be trained so that if at any moment the temptation should seize him to imitate bacchus he might attach them to his chariots 
arabs and hindus led them in chains of steel so fully concealed by encircling flowers that it seemed as though the animals were led in garlands of flowers tamed by skilful trainers they gazed at the crowd through green and sleepy eyes but from time to time they lifted their giant heads and sniffed up through wheezing nostrils the exhalations of the surrounding humanity licking their chops the while with rasping tongues now came caesar's chariots and litters large and small gold or purple inlaid with ivory pearls or sparkling with precious stones then another small detachment of praetorians in roman armor consisting entirely of italian volunteers then crowds of gorgeously clad servants and lads and at the last came caesar himself his approach was heralded from afar by multitudinous shouts in the crowd was peter the apostle once in his lifetime he wished to catch a sight of caesar he was accompanied by lygia her face covered by a thick veil and by ursus whose strength afforded the surest protection for the young girl in the midst of that disorderly and dissolute crowd the lygian seized a stone destined for the temple and brought it to the apostle so that by ascending it he could see better than the others the crowd murmured at first when ursus pushed it apart as a ship cleaves through the waves but when they noticed the size of the stone which four of the strongest athletes could not have lifted murmurs were changed into shouts of wonder look look resounded from all sides but now caesar had appeared he sat in a tent-like chariot drawn by six white idumean stallions shod with gold the sides of the tent were purposely left open so that the crowds could see caesar others might have found place in the chariot but nero wishing to centre all attention upon himself passed through the streets alone save for two deformed dwarves laying at his feet he was clad in a white tunic and a toga of the colour of amethyst which cast a bluish tint upon his face a laurel wreath was on his head his body had grown considerably in bulk since his departure from naples his face had widened beneath his lower jaw hung a double chin so that his mouth always too close to his nose now seemed almost as if glued to that feature his thick neck as usual was covered by a silk kerchief this he arranged from time to time with a fat white hand whose overgrowing red hair looked almost like gory spots yet he would never allow the hair to be plucked by the manicures because he was told that trembling of the hand would ensue with consequent detriment to his lute-playing infinite vanity as always was depicted on his face tempered by weariness and suffering it was the face at once of a tyrant and a mountebank he turned his head from one side to the other blinked his eyes and listened intently to the greetings of the crowd a storm of shouts and applause came first hail god like caesar hail emperor hail conqueror peerless one son of apollo apollo himself at these words he smiled but occasionally a scowl flitted across his face the roman rabble fond of jesting and confident in their own numbers always took their fill of sarcasms even against the triumphal heroes whom they loved and honored it was known that at one of julius caesar's entrances into rome they had shouted citizens hide your wives the bald-headed libertine is approaching nero's overweening vanity could not brook the least jesting or criticism yet with the shouts of applause mingled cries of bronzebeard what hast thou done with thy flaming beard art thou afraid that it would set fire to rome 
men who so shouted little knew what a prophecy lay hidden in their jest caesar was not much disturbed by their cries as he no longer wore a beard he had sacrificed it some years ago to place it in a golden cylinder and dedicate it to the jupiter in the capitol but there were others in the mob who hidden behind heaps of stones and the corners of temples shouted matricide nero orestes alcmaeon and others still where is octavia yield up thy purple poppaea who followed immediately after him attracted howls of yellow hair a nickname which was applied to public prostitutes nero's trained ear caught all these various exclamations he lifted his polished emerald to his eye as though wishing to discover and remember the speakers in this act his glance rested upon the apostle peter standing on the stone the two men looked at each other nobody in all that splendid retinue nor in all those innumerable crowds could have imagined that two powers of the earth were confronting each other one of which would soon pass away like a bloody dream while the other the old man in coarse cloth would seize in eternal possession the city and the world and now caesar had passed poppaea whom the people loathed followed him in a sumptuous litter borne by eight africans arrayed as nero was arrayed in robes of the color of amethyst with a thick layer of cosmetics on her face motionless pensive indifferent she looked like an evil yet beautiful goddess carried in a procession a whole court of servants male and female followed and then a line of wagons filled with articles for the toilette and for general domestic use the sun had already passed the noonday hour when the procession of the augustales began a brilliant gleaming endless line drawn out like a serpent the indolent petronius saluted with kindly indulgence by the crowd was carried in a litter with his godlike slave tigellinus drove in a chariot drawn by ponies adorned with white and purple feathers he rose repeatedly from his chariot and stretched his neck to see if caesar were yet ready to give him the longed-for signal to take a seat in the imperial tent among the others licinianus piso was greeted with applause vitellius with laughter vatinius with contemptuous whistling towards the consuls licinius and lecanius the crowd behaved with indifference but tullius senecio whom for some unknown reason they loved and vestinus got their plaudits the court was innumerable it seemed as if all that was wealthiest most brilliant and most illustrious in rome were migrating to antium nero never travelled save with thousands of chariots his following always surpassed a legion in numbers and a legion in his day rarely fell below twelve hundred men hence the crowd could point to domitius afer and the decrepit lucius saturninus and vespasian who had not yet gone on his campaign against judea whence he returned to receive caesar's crown and his sons and lucan and annius gallo and quintianus and a multitude of women renowned for wealth beauty luxury and debauchery the eyes of the multitude turned from these familiar faces to the harness the chariots the horses the strange equipments of the servants selected from all the nations of the world in that flood of splendor and power one hardly knew what to look at not only the eye but the mind was dazzled by the gleaming of gold purple and violet by the sparkling of precious stones and the glitter of brocade mother-of-pearl and ivory 
it seemed that the very sunbeams had been absorbed into that abyss of splendor and though there were not lacking wretched beings in the crowd with sunken stomachs and with hunger smitten eyes the spectacle not only inflamed their envy and their greed but filled them also with delight and pride as a manifestation of the power and invincibility of rome to which the world contributed and before which it knelt for who at that time would have ventured to doubt that that power would endure for all ages and would outlast all nations or that in the whole world there was nothing which could resist it vinitius in the rear of the procession caught sight of the apostle and lygia leaping from his chariot he was at their side greeting them with beaming face he spoke hurriedly as one who has no time to lose thou hast come i know not how to thank thee o lygia god could not have sent me a better omen i salute thee even while bidding thee farewell but the farewell is not for long i shall place relays of parthian horses all along the way and every free day i shall be by thy side until i get leave to return farewell farewell marcus cried lygia in an undertone she added may christ lead thee and open thy soul to the teachings of paul overjoyed that she took thought for his speedy conversion he replied be it as thou sayest paul prefers to travel with my men but he is with me and will be my comrade and my teacher lift thy veil my beloved that i may see thee once more before my journey why art thou so thickly veiled she lifted her veil her bright face and marvellously smiling eyes were turned full upon him dost thou not like the veil she asked there was a slight savour of girlish pertness in her smile vinitius was delighted tis bad for my eyes he said they would gaze on thee for ever until death ursus he added turning to the lygian watch her as the pupil of thine eye for she is my mistress as well as thine he seized the girl's hand and pressed it to his lips the bystanders were amazed they could not understand such signs of honor from a resplendent augustale to a maiden clad in a simple dress almost that of a slave farewell he departed quickly to catch up with the now disappearing rear of the procession the apostle peter made an unnoticed sign of the cross after him the good ursus poured out praises upon him glad to see his young mistress listening with pleasure and beaming gratitude upon him the retinue moved on occasionally disappearing in clouds of golden dust they gazed long after it however until demas the miller approached the same who employed ursus in nightly toil after kissing the hand of the apostle he pressed them to break bread with him explaining that his house was near the emporium you must be hungry and weary he said after spending the greater part of the day at the gate they went with him they ate and rested at his house in the evening they returned to the trans tiber with the intention of crossing the emilian bridge which cut through it passed over the publicus nount going over the aventine between the temples of diana and mercury the apostle peter gazed from this height upon the buildings surrounding him and on the others vanishing far away into the gloom suddenly he pondered over the power and the immensity of this city to which he had come to preach the word of god up to this time he had seen the roman legions and governors in the many lands through which he had wandered but they were merely separate members of this power which to-day for the first time he had seen summed up in the person of nero 
that city enormous predatory dissolute rotten to the marrow of its bones unassailable in its superhuman power caesar himself fratricide matricide uxoricide followed by a retinue of bloody ghosts no less in number than his court debauchet and mountebank who was yet the lord of thirty legions and through them of the whole earth the courtiers covered with gold and purple uncertain of the morrow but to-day more powerful than kings all these things together seemed to him to make up a hellish kingdom of injustice and depravity his simple heart marvelled how god could bestow such inconceivable might upon satan that he should have given him the earth to knead it as he willed to turn it over and trample upon it to squeeze tears and blood out of it to revolve it as with a whirlwind to storm it like a tempest to consume it like flames his apostle heart was alarmed by these thoughts in spirit he spoke to the master o oh lord he cried what shall i do in this city to which thou hast sent me seas and lands belong to it the beasts of the field and the living creatures in the water belong to it other kingdoms and cities belong to it and the thirty legions which guard them i o oh lord am but a fisherman from a lake what shall i do how shall i overcome its malice he raised his grey trembling head towards heaven praying and calling from the depths of his heart to his divine master full of sadness and fear lygia interrupted him the whole city is as if on fire she said and in very truth the sun set that day in a strange fashion its enormous shield had now sunk halfway behind the janiculum hill the entire expanse of heaven was filled with a fiery glow from the place in which they stood their glance embraced a vast expanse a little to the right they saw the long extending walls of the circus maximus above it the towering palaces of the palatine and in front of them beyond the ox-market and the velabrum the top of the capital with the temple of jupiter but the walls the columns and the tops of the temples were flooded in that golden and purple light such of the river as could be seen from a distance seemed to flow as with blood as the sun sank lower behind the mountains the glow flushed redder like the reflection of a conflagration and it increased and widened until finally it embraced the seven hills whence it poured over the whole surrounding country the entire city seems on fire repeated lygia peter shaded his eyes with his hand the wrath of god is upon it said he End of part 2, chapter 14.